Welcome to the Good Research Podcast, where we talk about those topics that most interest you, helping you make your research study the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Dr. Lauren Seifert. episode 3 of Good Research. I am Dr. Lauren Seifert, and the Good Research podcasts are for research students, as well as researchers who would like to brush up on research techniques and methods. In the first two episodes, I discussed four basic questions that should be answered before a researcher's work begins. Those questions relate to ontology, epistemology, generalizability, and reflexivity. In addition, I described the varieties of research, including observational studies, case studies, surveys, quasi-experiments, and true experiments. And of course, as we move on in the podcasts, I'll have more to say about these specific methods. To remind you, good research begins with sound research practices, and one of the most fundamental of research practices is to start by stating one's assumptions. In episode three, we look back at the four basic questions so that you can determine your preferred research orientation. This will help you to identify your research style and the techniques and methods that are most compatible with it. I'd like to start with a short vignette about a former student who was working within an organization and who took one of my research methods courses. He was very happy to find out that his research project in the class could be an action research project, and he set about deciding what action research orientation he would use. After a bit of time, he had identified a research question by way of evaluating a number of challenges within his organization. Then he set about deciding on an action to try out. So he was a participant observer, and his action research approach was one of PAR, Participatory Action Research. His supervisor approved the proposed action, and my student set about making the action happen within his organization. About two weeks into the action, the student contacted me with frustration. Dr. Seifert, he moaned, this study isn't working out at all. I'm trying to prove that if people would just use the new process on our production line, then the line would be much more efficient and have less waste. But people keep doing extra things in the process, and they won't follow the prescribed new process. Moreover, when we get together in team meetings, staff and the line workers complain and keep offering suggestions about the process. How can I get my study back on track, he asked. Okay, so the most basic issues that my student was having were not about 
an action research study gone wrong. In fact, if you're an action researcher and you are hearing the student's tale of woe, you're probably smiling and thinking about all of the chances this student has to help make real and meaningful organizational change with the line workers and his organization. Now, if you aren't trained as an action researcher, you're probably scratching your head and asking, say what now? <laughs> what is happening here? It sounds like chaos. Now, here are the keys to the student's problem. One, no matter what the type of research study, there is no project that can prove something. Uh, right away, your mental research methods alarms should be going off. The student's expectation that he could prove that the new process was effective was bound to be disappointing, no matter what research orientation or method he was using. No study can prove a thing. It can provide evidence in support of it or against it, but it cannot prove the thing. Item two, the student clearly took an objectivist ontology and he was looking for a single reality. That's fine. It's consistent with his research orientation. Both conventional science and action research take an objectivist ontology. Okay, so that, that's in keeping. Three, however, given that he was adopting an action orientation, the student had missed some of the most important aspects of action research. One of those is the preferred epistemology of action research being subjectivism. This means that in order to understand the nature of the production line and the the new production, the student needed to dig deep and include the other workers as collaborators as they work together to implement and evaluate the new process. Why, you ask? It's because the subjective experiences of those involved are paramount in action research. They are fundamental to the action and evaluation processes in action research. Unfortunately, and this is number four, the student's one intervention and one way of measuring outcomes was much more consistent with a preferred epistemology that is objectivism. He wasn't moving in a direction of using subjective measures. He was moving away from it toward objective measures. Now, looking back on this, if I had required the student to answer the four big questions, before diving into his action research project, I would likely have recommended that he take on a conventional traditional science approach with one prescribed intervention and a specific and objective outcome measure, something like the amount of scrap or waste on the production line. It, he would have been more comfortable with it than he was with the action research approach and its subjective epistemology. Now, this does not mean that the student would have gotten his desired outcome in a conventional study using conventional science. No, good research does not guarantee a specific outcome. However, the student would have probably have been less frustrated using a conventional science approach than he was with action research. 
So with that illustration of what can happen when there is a mismatch between one's preferred research orientation and one's research project, let's move on so that you can determine your preferred research orientation. Let's start by looking back at short versions of the big four good research questions. One, is there a single reality? Or is reality some sort of negotiated thing? That is, is reality real? Two, how can we discover the nature of reality? How can we discover the nature of things? How can we discover new information? Number three, is the study that you'd like to conduct one that will be generalizable to other cases? And four, how will you as the researcher interact with the measures and the subjects in your study? Now, if you have some challenges remembering the big four questions, as I've sort of paraphrased them here, you can go back to Good Research Episode 1 and listen again where I've gone over each one of the four questions. If you're okay and you feel pretty secure in your understanding of the four questions, let's move on. We're going to talk about each question in turn, and that way you can determine what your response is to each of the four. And I want to start by emphasizing questions one and two because they are absolutely critical. Question one is about ontology. Is there a single reality that underlies everything? Are there universal truths that can be uncovered? If you say yes, then you are most likely to be in one of two research orientations. One of them is associated with conventional traditional science, positivism, post-positivist orientations, and or the hypothetico-deductive methods. For our purposes, we'll call that conventional science. The other research orientation with an objectivist ontology is critical realism slash action research. Critical realism involves a belief that reality exists but an equally strong conviction that we can't necessarily gain access to that reality, except maybe through subjective experiences. Now, related to critical realism is action research. It applies critical realism in research, along with the discovery processes um, that happen through action and evaluation and cycles of those. So those are the two basic kinds of research techniques that sort of come from a person saying yes to question one, that there is reality and that, you know, there is some kind of universal truth underlying life. But if you answered no to question one, where does that leave you? Well, it leaves you with a preference for, uh, one, the assumption that there is no objective reality. And so that's probably going to lead you away from conventional science, critical realism, and or action research. Instead, it's going to lead you in the direction of 
relativism. And there are a number of approaches and perspectives that are related to that. Hermeneutics, phenomenology, interpretivism, constructivism, uh, postmodern, postmodernist approaches, grounded theory. Uh, one of them is probably more likely to be your chosen orientation if you said no to question one. So now let's move on to question two, which is the question about epistemology. How is new information discovered? Do we do it through unbiased measures or is it constructed? Okay. If your tendency is to want to uh, build a scale or have a method of measurement that is objective and through which you can work to minimize bias and decrease subjectivity, then you're Preferred epistemology is objectivist, and I would say that your preferred method of doing research is probably going to be conventional slash traditional science. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to put on a white coat and walk around with a clipboard looking into microscopes. You, you might, um, but what it does mean is that you're going to want to work on projects where validation of research instruments, whether they're survey scales, educational me measures, physical measurement devices, that will be paramount. Uh, you might be the researcher who wants a, a valid and reliable scale to assess anxiety or depression. Uh, you might be the investigator who wants to validate educational tests or determine the repeatability of a measure of optic density, um, you know, any one of these things or others. So if you responded yes to questions one and two, that is, you believe there's an objective reality and that it can be measured in objective ways, then I would say for you, it would be good to move toward traditional conventional science. And you may want to jump ahead to episode five of Good Research um, in order to learn more about research predictions and hypotheses. Okay. However, if you answered no to question two and you prefer subjective measures that emphasize people's subjective experiences, then you are not likely to be comfortable in conventional slash traditional research. Um, this means that you're more likely to want to explore the world through subjective experiences. And if this is the case, then your preferred research orientation is going to depend very much on what you answered to question one. If you believe there are objective truths and objective reality, um, but that they can only be discovered sub it can only be discovered subjectively, then you're going to probably want to move in the direction of critical re realism, maybe action research. Okay. On the other hand, if your response, again, if your response to question one was no, then I would say you want to move away from conventional science, you want to move away from critical realism and action research, and you want to move in the direction of hermeneutics, phenomenology, maybe grounded theory, relativism, interpretativism, constructivism. These are where you will feel more comfortable. So now that you have some idea of the direction you're moving in from your responses to question one and two, let's just spend a few minutes on questions three and four from the big 
four questions. Now question three is about whether you can generalize from your research study to other situations, objects, or people. Uh, we say, is it generalizable, right? If your work can be generalized to other cases, then it is generalizable. But if it cannot, then it's case specific. Of all of the research orientations, the, the only one that really provides a platform for broad generalizations is conventional traditional science. So you want to keep that in mind. Uh, if you're taking a different orientation, critical realism and action research, or if you're, you are moving in the direction of um, the constructivist approaches, phenomenology, grounded theory, um, all of those, even though they have lots of things that are different about them, all of them are going to be just much le less generalizable. They're going to be case-specific they're going to focus on the particulars. Okay, and then finally, let's move on to question four about the relationship between you as the researcher and the things being studied and the nature of the study. As I mentioned in episode one, this question really relates to reflexivity and the continuum of distance. Um, I mentioned that if a, a researcher's primary interactions are with instruments and measurements and procedures and protocols, then the researcher is probably engaged in methodological reflexivity, which is a type of systematic reflexivity. And so that researcher is probably a conventional scientist or is probably preferring conventional science, right? And conventional science we work to refine our measurements, our protocols, our procedures. We feel very um, glad when we're talking about things like validity and reliability, and when we're scrutinizing our theories and methods and measures in ways that improve our protocols over time. Okay. Now, another kind of systematic reflexivity is epistemic reflexivity, and this is practiced by action researchers and critical realists as they repeatedly question their own assumptions and try to expose their inauthentic beliefs. Uh, depending on the types of action research involved, a researcher may reach out to others in order to use democratic and collaborative reflective processes. And he or she may work to repeatedly return to scrutinizing beliefs along with others who are involved in the project. Now, again, those processes are described as being part of epistemic reflexivity. They're typical of action researchers and critical realists. So if you responded to question four by desiring to repeatedly revisit your own assumptions, then you may wish to be engaged in action research or, and or critical realism. And you may wish to engage others in the process of your reflexivity. Now, finally, though, if, if you, in response to question four, have noticed your desire to deconstruct and reconstruct your own experiences and your own perceptions and, and, and be with those and, and constantly be revisiting your own perceptions and experiences, and especially if you responded no to question one and ended up being subjective as well in question two, then you are probably gravitating toward hermeneutics, phenomenology, constructivism, and the related orientations. Okay. 
you probably won't be as comfortable with con conventional science or critical realism or even action research. So just to recap, conventional scientists respond yes to question one, and they use objective measures to get at reality via question two, a la question two. They generalize their re results per question three, and they engage in methodological reflexivity per question four, scrutinizing theories and refining their experimental methods and procedures. Okay, so that's conventional science. Critical realists and action researchers do reply yes to question one. They, are object, they have an objective ontology, but they use subjective measures to engage in studies about the experiences of re reality per question two. They do not generalize their findings, a la question three, and they engage in epistemic reflexivity per question four, as they repeatedly revisit their beliefs about what was, what is, and what might be, and very often engage in democratic processes as they uh, reflex back onto their belief systems. Now, if neither one of those, again, fits with your profile, then you probably responded no to question one. That is, you don't believe there is an objective reality. And this might lead you to prefer subjective methods, a la question two. It indicates that your response to question three will likely be a tendency toward the specific and away from the generalizable. And finally, your response to question four will very likely lead you to hyper-reflexivity, whereby you continuously review and re visit and analyze your personal experiences. Before you move on in your work, identify your research orientation or find the one that sounds as if it's closest to what your profile of responses to the four questions was. When you begin to know who you are as a researcher, your sense of what you might accomplish in your work will become more clear. And this can lead you to good research. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Research. To find more episodes like this, go to www.clovepress.com and click on the resource link. Have a great day.